Welcome back to another episode of the Road to Tokyo podcast. This one is slightly special though, similar sort of road, different destination and slightly colder. To celebrate the fact that we are one year out from the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games, we are going to be talking to our 2018 Winter Olympic medalist and X Games gold medalist, Nico Porteous. He's coming to us from Colorado. How's it going, Nico? Yeah, good, thanks, Anna. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm so stoked. And I'm so stoked to have said that last sentence just then, X Games gold medalist, which literally only happened like three days ago. How are you feeling? Yeah, um, yeah, happened three days ago now. So um, I'm still kind of pinching myself. I can't really believe um, what happened. Uh, it's, all, it's all pretty crazy. I mean, it's just what people, I mean, need to sort of, I guess, people maybe who don't quite realise the, the, the sport that you're in, the X Games is, to win the X Games, God, you have to be the absolute best. And even in a year like this year where, you know, COVID is around and all that jazz, there was still the most stacked field and you came out on top. I mean, to get that medal at the end around your neck, can you take me back to that moment? Yeah. Um, I mean, I went into the competition just with one goal in mind and that was just to land this run that I've been working on for so long. Um, and... I, yeah, I, I landed this run and, and got to the bottom of the pipe and uh, saw the score and, um, well, I saw that they'd put me into first and, and even just that was like crazy enough that I'd landed this dream run and then been put into first. But then for the competition to finish and um, for me to be standing on the top, top of the podium um, among my fellow competitors in, in such a stacked field was uh, a dream, dream come true. You know, I've dreamt of it since I was, you know, first first started watching action sports and um, and yeah, to be standing there with a gold medal around my neck was insane. It's unreal. I mean, and to go back to that run, back to back sixteen twenties had never been landed in half pipe competition. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it had actually ever been landed ever. Well, had you landed? You'd landed it before in training, I assume. No, I'd never landed it back to back before that event. Oh yeah. my gosh, I did not realize that. That's insane. Yeah, so that was my first time doing them back-to-back. -back. I've done them individual a lot, um, but not back-to-back. -back. That's amazing. And I, I mean, you know, hearing the commentators as well, because you, you, you did your first run and obviously you didn't put the back-to-back -back 16s in it. That came into your second run. Um, but I could tell, you know, the commentators were obviously, um, you know, like talking about how you had that trick in the back, whether we were going to see it or not. And just as you were doing it, yeah. they were like counting. They were like, that's one, and then that's two. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I absolutely lost it when you like, I mean, when you landed that second one, it's just insane. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, the commentators sort of had a bit of an inside inside scoop into what was going on. They'd, they'd, um, they'd been watching training and I'd done it in training. Um, or done the right one that nobody had ever seen. And, and um, yeah, so they, they sort of knew it was coming. Um, but yeah, I, I watched it back the other day and I heard Tom go, uh, you know, look out for back-to-back -back 16s and then counting it out. And even for me, it was kind of like, whoa, is he going to do it sort of thing. Um, kind of felt like I wasn't watching myself. Totally. And obviously, um, I mean, I know personally what it feels like to work so hard at something. And even it doesn't, I mean, just the process of it is years in the making to get, you know, a trick that technical and two tricks back to back that technical. So when you landed that back to back, just take, can you describe that feeling for when you land a trick and that you have worked so hard to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, um, it's, it's, it's such a crazy feeling. Like it's, it's such an adrenaline rush and such a big release. Um, because you've yeah you've worked so hard for you know sometimes up to two years and then all of a sudden you've done it and there's just this massive like sense of relief and release and joy and it's like you just you, you just can't believe it but then 
that's kind of hard because you have to still got one trick to go in your run and you're like, oh, you know, I got to land this next trick, otherwise it won't count. Um, and so it was, it was a like very similar feeling to what I had at the Olympics of I got through this whole run and it was like, come on, just let me land this last trick. And I, I the same thoughts went through my head um, in the X Games run. Totally, but obviously, I mean, you've grown so much since uh, since that Olympic um, that Olympic run, and and you came out on your third run to to stomp that even bigger and go even harder. Obviously, you washed out a little bit there at the end, but I mean, the, the you 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 knew that that run was going to keep you at the top. I think. I mean, I'm so stoked that you that you stopped Alex Ferreira's three P. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been a. I mean, it's a pretty amazing feat to go two times. X Games gold medalist back to back, let alone three. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually think about the three peat until after the event. <laughs> yeah, and someone was like, "Oh, he stopped the three peat," and I was like, "Oh, true." Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually really know. You did, and obviously, I mean, you know, that field again we talked about was so stacked. But you're also you you were the youngest in that whole field, which is pretty wild. And you also have a, already an X Games medal under your belt from two years ago. So, I mean, do you kind of use your age? I would say your size, but you've actually grown a lot in the last few years, so <laughs> you're not so small anymore. But do you kind of use that as a bit of a motivator? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Although at the same time. I use it as a motivator, probably in not the way you expect me. I use it as a motivator in the fact that um, I look at it as age isn't really a number. You know, like I kind of, I kind of, oh, age is just a number, sorry. Um, I kind of look at it as that rather than, a, oh, I'm at an advantage because I'm younger. I kind of look at it as, um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've got, I'm younger, I'm nothing to lose. I've got nothing to lose sort of thing. Um, I'm pretty much the same age as them. Well, you know, like, it's really hard to explain, but I sort of think of it as I'm just another competitor. Um, it doesn't really matter my age, and that kind of gives me drive and focus to um, just be the best I can be. Yeah, totally. And obviously, going back to size, so there's that classic photo of you when you were forerunning at the X Games, um, yeah. at the Aspen X Games. Yeah. You were, how old were you? Because it was 2014, so how old were you then? I was 12. 12 years 12. old and there's a picture at the bottom of the yeah. half pipe with you and your um, coach Tommy Pyatt and then obviously there's yeah. that photo repeated with you with the next game's gold medal around your neck did you ever think when you were 12 yeah. years old for running that half pipe that you were going to be standing there with a gold medal around your neck uh, I had hoped I didn't think I would but I had hoped <laughs> you know hope's free right you can you can uh, you can hope anything but for it to actually happen um, yeah I, I truly didn't actually think it would but it did it it sure did, and it did, and you did it just, I, I don't know, in such ultimate fashion with doing, I guess, I, I guess, breaking records with those 16. So it's not like you just did it casually. You did it pretty pretty damn good. And obviously, you know, being 19, you weren't quite able to party and obviously COVID um, to celebrate. How did you end up celebrating? Who did you first call? Um, I first, I, I, well, I was kind of busy doing a lot of interviews and um and stuff straight after so I didn't actually have much time to call anyone um, and my phone's normally on flight mode uh, when I compete and so I turned off flight mode and instantly called mum and dad um, and then called my girlfriend and then called Miguel and Finn who were at home um, so yeah then we drove home and and yeah just hung out with Miguel and Finn Miguel my brother and Finn Billis and then um, my coach Tommy as well and so we were just yeah it was it was 
We were all kind of in shock, to be honest. A hundred percent, I bet you were. And obviously, I mean, I really want to go back now, sort of, I guess, to where it all began um, for you and, and to, I guess, like, leading up to this this point in time, which is, you know, I guess, in a lot of ways, the, the pinnacle. And so, I mean, even though you've got, you know, a long career ahead, it's sort of, I guess, like, hit this peak, which is incredible. But take me back to sort of, I guess, where you first, when you first started to ski and your first sort of memories on snow. Yep, so... I, I don't actually remember it, but I learned to ski um, in a small town in France. Um, my dad was working uh, as a health and safety manager for Peugeot at the time, and um, his contract had ended, and, and so we were we were living in the UK and decided to go um, and live uh, in a tiny little Airbnb in someone's basement for six months uh, in a little town called Val d'Isere, just near um, uh, Teen, um, no, not Val d'Isere, near Val d'Isere, um, Borg Saint-Maurice. Um, and it's the little valley town and um, we lived there, the four of us, in, in this two-bedroom um, little basement. And, yeah, that's where I learned to ski. Mum and Dad were already avid skiers and, and Miguel was starting to pick it up as well. And so, of course, I didn't want to be the one left at home. Uh, and so Mum mum taught me how to pizza in the living room, uh, <laughs> put my skis on and would teach me how to how to. Uh, do the pizza, which is where you you know you put your skis like this and you stop. Obviously, you know what it is, Anna. Yeah. Um, but I didn't actually understand what pizza was, and so Mum had to. We were doing a lot of baking at the time, and so Mum had to explain it to me as a slice of chocolate cake. So because I pizza. didn't understand the concept. Oh my. Yeah, gosh. I didn't understand the concept of pizza. Yeah, I didn't know that she was talking about a pizza slice, and so, um, yeah, we called it chocolate cake, and so I learned I learned how to do that when I was four years old, um, and within. A couple of weeks, I had picked it up pretty fast, and I was skiing skiing red runs, um, which is kind of the step before blue and black, the one in between. And um, yeah, I guess that's where the skiing bug sort of started. Totally. And then obviously, what your journey to, I guess, um, you know, Wanaka in a lot of ways isn't maybe what people quite might realise, because obviously you spent a little bit of time as well in Australia. Is that correct? And then you ended up yep. moving as a family over to New Zealand, mainly because of your yep. skiing. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, we wanted a lifestyle change as well. Um, the family did. And um, yeah, so after after uh, learning to ski in France, I um, lived in Christchurch until I was nine. Went to primary school there. And then um, another uh, one of dad's jobs came up um, and he was working for a mining company in Western Australia. And so we moved over to Australia um, and would go to school for term one and term four. And then uh, for term two and term three, we would come back to Wanaka and uh, live in a live in a backpacker's room with a bunk bed, two bunk beds and a single bed, me, mum and Miguel, while dad was working back home um, and would live there for two terms of the year and just ski every day. Uh, we were racing at the time and so we'd race train in the morning and then um, go and train uh, in the half pipe in the afternoon with Tommy. Um, and then from, from living in um, Australia, things started to get a bit more serious with me and Miguel skiing and um, and obviously the mining sort of mining boom in Australia started to die out a little bit. And so dad um, seeks some alternative work and uh, allowed us to actually move back to, to uh, Wanaka, which is where we live now. Um, and yeah, ski at Cadrona every day. And yeah, that's my home. Totally. And obviously I, I also remember, I guess, back in back when you guys were sort of getting going really hard in the park scene and you guys were skiing with Tommy Pyatt, which is um, which is Nico's coach, and you guys have been a unit, the three of you in a lot of ways, 
for a really long time. And I mean, I reckon that's kind of a unique situation in a lot of ways. People sort of pick up coaches more maybe in their later mid-teens maybe. But you guys have, um, yes, yeah. when did you first meet Tommy and sort of just explain, yeah, that sort of relationship? Yeah. So back to when we were living in Christchurch, we were, mum and dad had the idea of, because uh, we were really into going skiing after race training, mum and dad had the idea of uh, entering us into the junior nationals, the free ski junior nationals um, at Kadrona. And I think I was six and Miguel was eight. And we, mum and dad, we had never had any park lessons or anything. And so they thought they'd request a private two weeks prior, a private lesson um, two weeks prior to the junior nationals. And back then you got to pick your instructor and, and we picked, I vividly remember mum showing me on the computer and going, does this instructor look okay? And I'm you know, oh yeah, he looks cool as and, uh, Tommy was 21 at the time, and so same age as Miguel now. Um, and so, yeah, that day was when it all started. Mum and Dad selected the private with Tommy. Um, he taught us how to slide our first rail. And since then, he's been with us at the top of the course by our side for X Games, Olympics, World Cups, World Champs, um, every event pretty much, you name it, and Tommy's been there. Um, he's taken us truly from the start to where we are now. And what, what do you think it is that, I guess, makes you guys such a successful team? And I guess there's that, I mean, there's obviously so much trust um, and respect there, but, um, and, and it's just sort of kept going and going and going, which has just been awesome to witness. And it's growing as well. You guys are obviously really good friends too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it literally just comes down to that, that we're really good mates. Um, he's literally like an uncle to us. He's, we've been through a lot together and um, we've experienced a lot of massive highs, but then also massive lows. Um, and I think that's just kind of grown our friendship. Um, but then also at the same time, it's a real professional relationship. You know, when we're on Hill, he's our coach. He's not our friend. He's our coach and he's our harshest critic and tells us what we need to work on without without blinking an eye, you know, tells us we suck if we need if he needs to. Um, I and, know that. But then when we get off Hill, he's... Yeah. Even, even I was work, <laughs> worked with Tommy a couple of sessions when back when I was competing and he was way too harsh for me. I'd be like, come on, don't be so mean. And I also remember... Yeah, he was pretty, he was pretty harsh. I remember as well, yeah. specific, um, you know, there was a season there when um, I was sort of just coming up and you guys were tiny, but you guys were skiing with, um, with Tommy and we were at Snow Park. And I remember we were both, one day we were both learning 270s onto rails together, but you were doing them yeah. the opposite direction. So in other words, like in, for people who don't kind of realise, you, you kind of, to be the best you have to sort of be able to, especially in the, I guess, in male and female now, but particularly in the guys, you have to be able to do everything both ways, you know, and you kind of have to be... Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, sort of yeah, to writing like an essay with both hands. Yeah, That's exactly. kind of what you have to be able to do. Exactly, which is why his back-to-back -back 16s in the half pipe was so crazy because the trick is crazy enough natural like if you do it your natural way but then to be able to repeat that on the other side um and the i guess like like you say writing with your left hand that's what makes it just so extremely technical and i remember tommy wasn't like tommy would have this thing where you guys weren't allowed to progress into another trick or another sort of spin unless you could do it on the other side so if you you couldn't do it like a left 720 until you'd learned it to the right as well you know what i mean it was it was cool to, it was amazing yeah. to witness yeah and and um tommy since since he started coaching us so young, he learnt just as much as we were learning. Yeah, like he learnt at the exact same. He wasn't an expert in the in skiing by any means, um, and with the help of being mentored by other coaches, he kind of just grew into this um, freak of a free free ski coach that knows so much about it um, and can dissect tricks like nobody else that I've ever seen. 
um, but then can also, yeah, he just gives you the confidence and is right there for you and, and uh, will will tell you to do something if you need to do something sort of thing. Totally. And I think finding that balance in a sport that is, I mean, there's no beating around the bush. It's an extremely dangerous sport. So when you are going up and you're learning a trick that is ridiculously, I guess, technical and hard, there's no margin for error. And if you crash, you can... You can, I mean, you know, there obviously have been fatalities in the sport. It's a seriously, it's, um, yeah. I guess, intense sport. So to be a coach and be able to tell you, you know, and understand that person to know whether it is time to go and do that trick or whether it is actually not your day and you're not feeling it and you need to pull back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, it's a little bit of an exaggeration if I were to say every time we go out skiing, we put our lives on the line. But um, it's it's almost, it's literally almost that. Um, our sport is extremely, extremely dangerous. Um, and without the calculated risk, the amount of calculation that goes into trying a new trick and, um, and yeah, just a lot, of, a lot of things can go wrong. And so having someone there that you can really trust to tell you, hey, today's not the right day. But then at the same time, you know, if you're not feeling it, but maybe he can see that you're skiing really well and goes, hey, you should do it. And you trust that, you know, you know, you trust that he is going to put you in the right direction rather than just trying to get you hurt or something, you know, and, and that trust comes with time. And I think that's something we've really developed well with Tommy. Totally. And obviously, I really want to talk about um, your, the mindset as well and how, how you've adapted that as sort of you've had so much success and you're, yet you're still so young and you're growing so much, both physically and mentally. Um, but I want to sort of, I guess, dissect that. But before we do, I kind of want to go back, um, you know, to the, to the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. Um, because am I wrong to say that, like, going into that Olympics, you know, in a lot of ways, because, you know, Miguel, your big brother, is, um, is also an extremely talented skier, and he was almost looking more of a target for a medal, and you were sort of more gunning for a medal for the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you guys were there as such a solid, I guess, um, I mean, part of that team. And then you, you got in there and snuck in there. Ta take me back to that day. What fell into place for you to yeah. get on that podium? Yeah. Um, I do remember in the training days, Miguel was, skiing, Miguel was skiing the best out of anyone in the whole field. And there was a couple instances where coaches were saying, damn, Miguel's skiing really well. He's going to be one to watch out for. Um, and it just comes down to that thing on anything can happen on the day, you know, um, a small mistake like he made can, can, um, kind of in a way shatter dreams pretty fast. Um, and it can happen to anyone. It's happened to me before. Um, it's happened to Miguel before, and it just happened that it was on that day of qualifying, um, that, that it did happen to him. But for me, I made it through qualifying and, um, was skiing really well and, and had this run in my head, sort of similar situation to what happened a couple of days ago at X Games. I had this run in my head and I really, really wanted to do it. I'd never done it before. Um, and I just said to myself, look, you've got nothing to lose. Why not just go and give it your absolute best shot? And I had the mindset of I was, I was content with myself in my head that if I ended up in hospital, I'd be okay with it as long as I gave everything, as long as I left everything out there. That's insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, and... and uh, there's only been a few times where I've really been in that mindset and it's and it's pretty special when you do actually get into it. But um, I'd say that's a massive thing that allowed me to um, do so well on that day and, and ski at my the best of my ability is because I didn't have any pressure on me. I, um, I just skied for the joy of skiing and because I wanted to 
do as well as I can. You know, I didn't care about the result. I didn't care who was watching or I just wanted to go out there and ski the best I could. And I feel like that just allowed me to literally just send it and not care. I know. And then the fact that that was on a day and like you said, you know, you didn't care who was watching. It happened to be the most watched, you know, of half yeah. event that's ever existed on this planet. So well yeah. done for choosing that moment. Um, and then obviously <laughs> getting that medal. I mean, how has your, I guess, how has your life changed since you, since you got that medal around your neck? Yeah, my life's completely changed since that day. Um, I guess sort of, I, I, it's honestly so hard to explain because I don't know where I would be right now if I if I didn't get that medal, you know, and that's the beauty of life is that you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to come and hit you or um, or what's going to happen tomorrow. And so that's why um, I, I honestly couldn't tell you how it's changed. I know that it has changed. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's just the way life goes sort of thing. A hundred percent. And then obviously, you know, you're so the year after that or not – yeah, the year after that, you also got your X Games, uh, another uh, an yeah. X Games, your first X Games medal. So you, by that point, you were still what you were only seventeen, and you've you know got this Olympic yeah. medal and this X Games medal. How did you sort of, I guess, deal, or did you feel this sort of extra pressure because you you were that Olympic medalist, I guess, in a lot of ways? Yeah, yeah, I did feel I did feel a lot of pressure, um, and yeah, I, I felt a lot of pressure from a lot of different angles, from sponsors, from um, just from, you know, general public and, um, having an image to live up to and sort of things like, things like that, that, um, shouldn't, well, that, that kind of just get sprung on you, um, without you really having a choice. And, um, yeah, I found that really hard to deal with, but, uh, for me, it was for personally how it impacted me was I had this false sense of, you know, false expectation to be on the podium at every event from there on sort of thing like I'd, I'd I'd got on the podium at X Games and the Olympics the two biggest events in freestyle skiing right now and I guess I thought I was I wasn't yeah I wasn't like I wasn't cocky or overconfident or I'm gonna win this event it was more I expected myself to have the focus of winning at every single event so I'd roll up to a competition and be like I want to win this event I can win this event rather than rather than focusing on my skiing, to be honest. Um, so I was through a period there, I was just focused on results and, and not focused on me being the best skier I can be. And, um, that only, I only realized, um, that, it, that this mindset was wrong probably a year ago now. And, um, it caused me to have a change where I no longer thought about results. I no longer thought what the outcome at the end of the day was because you cannot control that. Um, and I learned that. And now I just focus on me being the best gear that I possibly can be and training as hard as I can. Um, and if I'm the best gear that I can be, well, then maybe results will come. Um, but I, again, I still can't control that. Exactly. I mean, what I guess the, what it comes down to as well is at the end of the day, this is a judge sport. So it's, you know, four or five yeah. people's opinion on that day and that can change each competition that you go to. Yes, there is sort of like this, I guess, um, you know, the judge on technicality uh, um, um, Ampl- I was going to say amplitude. Um, yeah. Amplitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. and a variety of different things. But at the end of the day, it's still someone's opinion and they can change that opinion. They could be one day looking for, like, everything has to be perfect or they could be looking for progression. So you can't, I guess, change the minds of judges at the time, but you can just, I guess, the only thing you can control is your skiing. Yeah, exactly. And it took me a long time to realise that. 
Um, I think that sort of comes down to just me maturing as a person um, and getting older and um, I wouldn't say wiser, <laughs> but um, just kind of, yeah, understanding how it sort of goes. And I, of course, I'd heard that before that, like I'd heard you can't worry about results and um, and you just got to focus on what you can focus on. But it, but it never actually happened in my head until now. Was there, what was it that sort of, I guess, made you have that mindset or that sort of moment or that aha moment where you were like, actually, you know, I'm focusing on the wrong thing? I think it sort of, um, I had a year off straight after that. Um, and I think it sort of took me being away from competition uh, to sort of realize why why I was focusing so much on results. Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, it's really hard to, pink, uh, to um, put a finger on exactly when that minds, mindset change happened um, or why it happened. I think it, uh, yeah, literally just comes down to me growing older and um, being more mature. Totally. And I think also, I think one thing that I've noticed in your career, just knowing you from a personal level, is that you've got a really, really incredible support system around you. Like, not just um, yeah. parents who are so down to earth, doesn't, don't care about the results, they'll mm. make you do all the chores in the house. I know your parents, it's awesome. And yeah. your brother, at the end of the day, your big brother, Miguel, and what that relationship and bond that you guys have and that journey that you guys have been on together is really amazing to witness because that sort of that love is so strong, yet that sort of, I guess, especially when you guys were younger, that competitiveness made you guys the skiers that you are as well. I mean, is that sort of how it's been from, that's from my opinion, obviously? Yeah, 100%. That's exactly how it's been. Um, I'm very, very lucky that I've always had people to keep me very level-headed in my life. Um, I, yeah, like, obviously my family is proud of uh, results me and my brother have achieved um, and, and um, things that we've done. But that doesn't change, you know, that it doesn't change who they think of us, you know. We're still to them just same old Nico and Miguel. And, um, yeah, we may travel overseas and compete in World Cups and X Games and Olympics. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. As soon as we walk in the door at home, we're just Nico and Miguel. Um, I'm not saying they're not proud of us, but they just don't define us by our, um, our moments of success or our, our feats. Definitely. And I think, um, yeah, I think that, that, like, you know, like you said, just keeps you guys so grounded. But she, does, your, does your mum, has she started to watch you ski uh, or is she still just looking at live results? Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, she, she watches and uh, she was actually watching with one of my best mates, mum, the other day. Um, and and uh, she was cheekily filming mum's reaction of the last run. And uh, it was it was hilarious to watch mum like go from freaking out and shaking to oh my god oh my god like couldn't believe it and I've never actually seen that before and so yeah it was pretty funny to see the video of that yeah totally because it's such a catch twenty two because as a parent of not that I'm a parent yet but like as your as a parent you you want your children to be going after their dreams and their goals and and doing what they love but when it's a seriously dangerous sport I mean it's just I guess it's at a whole other level. Yeah, I mean, I can't watch, like, I can't watch the event. Like, I freak out and, and can't watch my fellow competitors compete because that freaks me out. Um, I can't watch my, so, like, recently I've been actually not looking when I watch my brother do tricks is because I, ju I just can't watch. I don't like it. Like, it really makes me nervous and makes me sort of freak out. So I can't imagine what mum is going through um, when we're skiing down the pipe. I mean, 
I, I agree with it. Like, I, I couldn't watch. No way. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just such an incredible sport to watch. And, you you know, what, what's, we spoke last week, actually, um, on from the Crowd Goes Wild TV show, and you were talking about the sort of new altered mindset that you had in comparison to the last time you were at X Games, for example, and you were like, you know, you were literally at the end of the interview said, well, we'll see how it goes, because obviously you hadn't actually competed yet with that new kind of mindset. So you used to sort of like yeah. be throwing up before competitions because of nerves, and yeah. now you've sort of, I guess, reset everything. Obviously it worked, so just so stoked. But <laughs> talk, me through, talk me through that, that sort of change, changing something that is so routine that you've done for so long, um, and I guess the fear that kind of comes with that. Yeah. Um, first off, I think it just took me like, I just, I still get nerves. It's, it's inevitable that I'm always going to get nerves. Um, but they, they weren't as bad as I normally get them. And I think that's literally because I just didn't put any pressure on myself. Um, well, I, I put pressure on myself, but not to, not to be on the podium. I put pressure on myself to win a P, uh, to uh, land a PB run, um, rather than trying to put pressure on myself to win. Um, and so, that just allowed me to sort of get over those nerves and understand why I had those nerves because obviously what I'm doing is, is terrifying. Like, don't get me wrong. I find it so, so scary. Um, but it's just kind of how you combat those nerves and fear. And um, by not having any pressure on me, it allowed me to um, look at that uh, with a, I don't know how you say this, like a, a non, like a non-skewed mind, like just, just a clear mind of, okay, I'm scared because I'm doing a gnarly run and I'm nervous because Again, it's a gnarly run, but I'm not scared and nervous because I might not win or, you know, I might not impress someone. It's just kind of like I'm just out there to do what I normally do. Yeah, the normal, normal nerves are going to happen and, and yeah, you just got to go with them and, and trust that you're going to be okay. 100%. I mean, it, just just because of that sort of, I guess, conversation that we had had last week, it was almost even more rewarding for you to get the result that, you know, that dream result after, so, so, I guess, like such a, so much hard work, um, not just on skis, but mentally as well. Yeah, it was, it was a realisation that I'd never worked so hard for a run in my life. I'd never put in so much time and so much effort and so many days where I didn't want to be there. Um, which is, you know, everyone goes through that. Um, and just the success on what happened on Friday or Saturday, your guys' time was, it, it just, everything just paid off. It was like, I don't, don't regret working hard on the day that I didn't want to be there or I don't regret doing anything. It's just made everything so, so worth it. Um, and that's, that's sort of a feeling I've never felt before. Um, because with the Olympics, it was like a, whoa, that was, I just got crazy lucky and which I did get lucky. Like I did, I landed this crazy run, um, that I'd not really been working on for that long and hadn't really landed it. But with X games, it was different. I'd, I'd worked on this run for two years and put all my time and effort and, and focus into this. And then to win was like, whoa, like it, it was just crazy. Yeah. It was such a amazing relief. Um, and it just, it showed me that, yeah, if you work hard and set your mind to something, then you can literally achieve your dreams and goals. Amazing. I mean, that's just, I guess, 
yeah, I just couldn't be more proud of you, just you saying that, and I guess everything coming together was so well-deserved, like you say, because, you know, like, you know, going back to what you said about the Olympics, like, I, I well and truly know that it can come down to a combination of obviously a lot of hard work, but also a bit of luck as well, you know, like when it comes to yeah. other the rest of the field, when it comes to the judge's mood. I know that sounds bad, but sometimes it can just be like that, you know, sometimes so they true. love you and sometimes they hate you. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. And obviously now you're sitting in a very content place, but still on the other side of the world. Um, what's ahead, I guess, because COVID is definitely, uh, the X Games was uh, is amazing that they managed to get it ahead, but it seems like everything else is kind of not happening, is it? Yeah, it's been cancelled and we don't really have a, there's no events on the calendar right now until December. Um, but as of, yes, you can only take it week by week right now. And so as of this week, our plan for the next uh, sort of three months or until May um, is to just train, put our heads down and, and keep training. Um, obviously, back home right now, it is the middle of summer. Um, so I'm really going to take advantage of the opportunity I've been given to come over to the States and, um, and ski these amazing facilities. And I'm really going to just put my head down and keep working um, for the next year and uh, see what happens. Totally, and obviously the this this we're chatting to you to celebrate that one year out from the 2022 um, Winter Olympics. How are you feeling about being a year out from another your second Winter Olympics? Yeah, well, the crazy thing is what we realised the other day is right now there's only three events until the Olympics. Yeah, that's a weird. So it's kind of like, yeah, like that's a massive wake up call. Um, but like I said I can only focus on how I'm going to ski and and my skiing, and so um, I'm. As of right now, obviously, I'm feeling really good. I'm on cloud nine. Um, I just came off the best day of my life, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I just gotta gotta move on from that and and uh, focus on what's next and uh, keep my head down and keep working hard. Awesome, I love it. Cool. Well, we're gonna um, finish up with um, some quick fire questions. So, um, we're supposed to keep this yep. really tight, and um, I've got a bit on this to keep it real tight. So we will do this. <laughs> All right. So, Olympic rings tattoo, yay or nay? Nay. Cool. Best location anywhere in the world to ski? Kadrona, home. You're about to put down um, your last run at an Olympic Games. What's your hype tune, if you had one? Depends on the day. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> right now then? Yeah. What would it be right now? Um, it'd be a song called, the song I was listening to at X Games, it's called Rage by Blister. Cool. It's a punk rock song. Okay, sick, nice. Your proudest achievement? Um, winning X Games gold. Nice. If you could win gold in any other Olympic event, winter or summer, what would it be? That's a real hard question. Um, 100 meter sprint. Yeah, mean. Um, okay, any, any, um, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, I don't know. I guess the All Blacks. Yeah, nice, cool. <laughs> And uh, would you rather hit the coping or go deep? Go, yeah, way to the bottom. To the bottom, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to, yeah. to explain yeah, that last 100%. one um, to, to people, you know, Nico's in a half pipe um, and there is such little room for error. You literally have to land, you know, you maybe have two metres of vertical ramp to, I guess, make tranny um, for your body to sort of, I guess, like, yeah. you know, be okay. Whereas in like a slope style jump or, or like a big air jump, you have quite a big landing. You can either knuckle it, if you, you, don't, you don't want to knuckle it, but you, what we're talking about is either going, um, yeah, coming too short or going too deep. 
and um, yeah, so you'd rather you'd rather go too deep. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough. The coping doesn't look very nice. Uh, it's horrible and it is nasty as well because quite often after you land on the coping, you end up in the bottom. <laughs> you bounce to the bottom because it is vertical that you bounce out to the bottom. So it's a double hit anyway. So, yeah. nice. What's up? So it was a double hit anyway. If you hit the coping, you're... you're... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, I kind of appreciate... Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat to us and um, we're so pumped no, to, I guess... thank you very much for having me. ...witness the next year for you um, up till the 2022 Olympic Games. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Anna. Cool. Cheers, Nico.